I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, good people. You already know what I'm going to say. Okay, what am I going to say? Just say it to yourself in the car, wherever you are. It's your favorite day of the week. Uh, okay, you pick it and be by now. That's fine. I'm going to change it up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up soon. But I am always, always excited to have people on the show. Y'all know that, to have new family members join us. And today, person special because we met when I started this, like literally, she was in the space the day I was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And I was sharing with the group at UNC, UNCG, UNC Greensboro, the University of Carolina at Greensboro at the Life Design Catalyst training. Shout out to Bill. This is where I met Dr. Aisha Hankins, who is a brilliant woman, a brilliant woman of color, a brilliant higher ed professional turning entrepreneur, turned entrepreneur. Great stuff that that's going to happen in this conversation because we are both Life Design Catalysts and we're here to help you get your life together. No, but really, Dr. Hankins, Hello, how are you? Welcome to the First Gen Lounge. Hi, I'm excited to be here. This is really, really great. Look, I agree with you. This is so great. I'm so glad we got to reconnect and to to see how our worlds have come together after three years from having met each other. It's been a little bit more than three, almost three and a half years ago. Oh my goodness. In September, right? Mm-hmm. The time flies fast, right? And it's like, literally, I, I met you all and we were at UNCG and three months later was on my own. Now, three years later, I'm totally on my own. So mm-hmm. good stuff. But look, so glad to have you here. You know, I'd like to jump right into it. So if you will... Tell us about yourself and tell us your first-gen story. Sure. So my name is Aisha Hankins. I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. And the backstory there, honestly, is my grandparents' story. So they met and married in Texas and migrated to Portland, Oregon during World War II and eventually made their way up to a territory called Alaska in the late 1940s looking for jobs and opportunity. And so I was raised in Anchorage. That's the story of how my family got there. Hmm. I grew up in a single-parent family household. So I'm the youngest of three. I have two older brothers. And one of the gifts in that is that my grandparents were our neighbors always. And so we were insulated, I think, from a lot of the realities of being a single parent or being part of a single parent family. And one of the things that I got from my grandparents, and I say this particularly in hindsight, was this sort of possibility mindset. That's something they taught us, they modeled to us. And that mindset really is that anything's possible. And so as I went through school and then eventually made my way to high school, Going to college seemed like the next natural step, even though both my parents had started college and not finished, and my brothers at the time were pursuing college, it seemed like the next course of action for me. So I applied kind of on a whim, honestly, to Oregon State University. And the funny story is, like, I didn't do my research. I didn't, I didn't learn all the details about the institution. I remember applying because my brother had said that the football team was good. <laughs> so I guess that was enough for me. I applied actually late, got accepted, and transition to Corvallis, Oregon, which was wonderful. I was excited about it. But I tell you, one of the things that made that initial transition really hard was the fact that I hadn't visited campus 
during orientation months before the fall term. So again, being part of a single parent family household, we didn't have the funds for me to fly down to Corvallis and spend time on campus before the term started. So literally once I got there a few days shy of day one, that was my introduction to everything. And it was such a a hard time for me because I had built up all these expectations in my mind about how it was going to be. And it wasn't that. So I just remember those first couple of days literally being on the phone, crying to my mother, lamenting about the whole experience. And honestly, within that first term, I withdrew from Oregon State, re-enrolled at Portland State, which is an institution that's about an hour and a half north in Portland, Oregon, a larger major metro. And then I unenrolled from Portland State and re-enrolled in Oregon State. So I literally had to go back and forth a bit just to kind of make sense of, was Oregon State the right place for me? And so I eventually landed there. Start of my second term, it was pretty clear that this was the right place for me and the rest of my time there was wonderful. So I graduated uh, with a biology degree, really with the intention of going into medical school. But I knew in the back of my mind that that was not where I wanted to go. And so I had some real honest conversations with a couple of mentors who happened to work in student affairs, student services. And so those conversations were really instrumental to me continuing my education and travels to other places to get my master's and then eventually my PhD. Mm, What a journey. Mm. If you could change anything about all of it, you know, from going to school, picking schools, you know, the transferring, the, the doctorate, what would you change? What do you wish you would have known? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a believer that nothing is wasted, right? That it's all a learning experience. But I would say I wish that there had been more models and examples for me in high school to sort of point me in the right direction in terms of the college application process, even just navigating the emotions of it. So when you are leaving home for the first time, that's a very significant thing. So coming from Anchorage, Alaska, moving to Corvallis, Oregon, that's a huge jump. And so there were a lot of just unforeseen emotions and experiences that came with that. So I wish in my high school experience, or maybe just even in my own personal life, I had more role models. I think that's something that a lot of first gens probably can relate to, that you're needing people to guide and direct you because you don't have necessarily those examples in your immediate circle or nuclear family. I like that a lot because Because, you know, we have to, as first gens, step up Mm -hmm. and to be responsible. So even in what you're doing now, and which we'll talk about, you know, in some of your work to be the example, Mm -hmm. but even to be a part of this conversation, you know, in the lounge, to be able to tell your story so that others can find their own way as well and start to think about some of the decisions that they could, would, should be making as they go forward. So I'm sure there are high school and college age you know, professionals even who are listening across the spectrum of life. So I hope that they really take to what you just said to start early and, you know, to reach out and find those people and to start asking those questions to get the help that they need. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting that you said you thought about being an indie. Yeah. Yeah, I did. We uh, were two of a kind <laughs> because, um, and I know last time we talked, it's like, gosh, we have so much in common, but yeah, I too had the same thing. I, you know, thought I'd be a doctor one day. Oh. And realize that chemistry and mathematics was not my thing uh-huh. and, and biology and all of it. Like the sciences, I did well enough to pass and not fail past, like, you know, B or C. Right. But I was like, yeah, that wouldn't be good for me as a doctor. So I'm just going to let that go and I'll be a teacher. There you go. But how wonderful that, you know, talking to people and learning and growing that I find that, yeah, I could still be a doctor and still save lives just in a different way. And, you know, and still be in education. So how powerful that we both ended up 
still doctors, right? And still yeah. doing things that we want to do to, to heal and, and help and change the world. So if you will, can you tell me about your experience going from first gen to PhD and what that meant for you to apply for programs? Because you got all the way over to North Carolina mm-hmm. even. So just all that transition and some of the valuable lessons that you learned through your experiences. Sure. So that transition initially from Alaska to Oregon State was huge. And I think being able to navigate that, even with, you know, some slip ups in the initial transition, that was really helpful, especially as I continue with my education. I think having role models and mentors that formed throughout my undergrad, particularly those that I spoke of that were really helpful in terms of helping me decide to not go to medical school and instead to go to higher education and pursue a master's degree in that area. I think having those mentors and role models were really helpful. They sort of affirmed to me that that I can do it. And after I graduated from Oregon State, I took a year off, just a period of transition, applied to Bowling Green State University. And that really came from the recommendation of my mentor and it was interesting because going back from my master's degree came with a little bit of resistance from my family. So I had applied mm. for my master's degree, I had gotten assistantship, which that really just means that I had gotten funding. So I was going to work on campus that was going to pay for my tuition. But I remember one of the, the most challenging hiccups really being conversations that I had to have with family. And I think a lot of it was they had saw me get my bachelor's degree. And for them, that was a significant accomplishment. I mean, literally most of my immediate family from Alaska was at my graduation. So for me to go back to school, they almost thought it was unnecessary. And so it was a couple of hard talks that had to happen before I transitioned to Ohio to go back to school. And that experience was challenging. Just to sum it up in one word, it was a highly competitive program. It was small town Ohio. I was one of very few staff of color because again, I worked in order to pay for my tuition. And so honestly, that was just a period of cultivating resilience and persistence that I am anchored to this goal and it's going to happen no matter what. And so I'm having just to navigate some of the interpersonal challenges, the competitive sort of aspect of the program. And even though I was there for two years, which seems like a significant amount of time, I really didn't develop those mentorship relationships with faculty and other staff on campus. And so that was certainly a hole that I had, but I was very much so tied to that goal. And part of it was, you know, I I knew I didn't want to go into medicine. I knew I wanted to work in higher education. So I was incredibly excited about, okay, I'm headed in the right direction. This is the work that I want to do. So I I made it through that program two years time, small town Ohio, graduated, and honestly was sort of envious of my classmates because at the time, most of them had jobs already lined up at other institutions across the country. And that was not my story. So I was working in student affairs, student services, but I didn't have a particular department that I wanted to work in. There wasn't like a a specialty that I was going after. I was sort of open. And so as much as that was a good thing, I didn't really land on that position that I wanted right after graduation. So I ended up going back home, which in hindsight was a great thing. But I think at the time I felt sort of insecure about that. Mm. I didn't have a position and I'd worked so hard for this degree. And again, I had kind of convinced my family, right? It was essential. And so went back home, certainly spent some time with family and eventually found a position actually in the area of assessment, working at the University of Alaska Anchorage. And again, nothing's wasted and everything in that case worked out the way that it should and that I had a lot of freedom in that position to explore. And by that, I mean to work with different departments. Uh, I taught some, I audited classes 
businesses. That was just a personal interest of mine. And so after a few years working there, it was really clear that I wanted to kind of switch to the other side of the house to academic affairs. And I wanted to specifically focus on educational psychology. I had audited a course that was wonderful, and I knew that that was the field I wanted to go into. So having that freedom in that position really allowed me to land on, okay, this is the next plan is to go back for this PhD. And as circumstances would have it, my husband would get a job in North Carolina. We would have transitioned across country from Anchorage, Alaska to North Carolina. And then I would go back to school at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Mm, The road is never straight. No, no, (laughs) not at all. And what I love most about your story is that you were able to take the breaks, Mm -hmm. still get valuable experience and then still move to the next. But you said, you know, previously that no time wasted. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for you to still have landed on your feet is the promise of one, your tenacity. I definitely say that because some people would just be like, I'm throwing in the towel. Forget it. I'm not doing it. I'm over it. But then for you to also keep your mind and your heart open to the possibilities and then to see the opportunity by being able to come to North Carolina with your husband. And that's the other thing. It's interesting that you're married and that helped shape your experience because a number of people are, you know, single still and they're just like, well, what to do, what to do. Mm-hmm. But in that partnership, there was still the benefit for you yep. to say, hey, we're going, we're a team. I try to talk about it as much as I can because being married is very essential to even my first gen experience, being a professional, being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And though we're both first gen, which I believe, even if it's okay for me to say your husband is too, yeah. to work as a team to help each other to get ahead and to see different than what you may have had. Like I said, growing up, what kind of life do we want for ourselves and how can we create that? Oh yeah. So thank you for sharing those elements of who you are and how you got to where you got, but also that you kept going and you are Dr. Hankins. Hey. (laughs) I know, right? Hey, because that's so significant. Because I tell people like, we're here and we're out here and we're doing the thing Mm -hmm. and you can believe in what you see and then for you to be, I mean, because I was so, so amazed. But I was like, oh, my God, a black person from Alaska. What? Uh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but for you to be the example um, for those who are, you know, close to home, who are still of color and, you know, in a place that's still very white. Yep. I'll just say that. And and that's just awesome. So, yeah, I love that so much about it, about you and about your story. So kind of thinking, you know, for ah, you're so very welcome. So, so welcome. Kind of thinking forward, you know, again, the similarity, both of us, higher ed doing an entrepreneurial thing. I still blame Bill for my entrepreneurship. Oh, yeah. Yep. It was instrumental, <laughs> and I no blame doubt. A very instrumental. And it's like, are you setting us up, Bill? But I, I say that because having been a part of the Life Design Catalyst training, mm-hmm. it really woke up something in me that I didn't even know was there. Mm-hmm. And in a way that felt like if I didn't start doing something and in, in, in being a part of the larger world and making an impact that I was wasting my life, mm-hmm. I was thinking so small about you know what I was doing and how I was doing it because I mean, it's kind of the bubble that I knew. And again, first gen, my thing was job security Mm -hmm. and not thinking that job security actually meant more being an entrepreneur. So, you know, mentioning that, because I want to know now about your work, what you're doing, and especially, you know, moving into entrepreneurship and how has your academic background shaped what you're doing? Because mine very much so did, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, so much so. So just to kind of set up what I'm doing and then make the connection to 
how it's tied into my work in higher ed. So I'm an educator entrepreneur living and working in Portland, Oregon, and my business is focused on helping women understand the influential role their self-beliefs play in their success in life. And so helping them develop strategies and tools to develop the positive self-beliefs to support the achievement of their goals. So that really is the Mm -hmm. crux of my business. And I would say that my background in higher education and specifically teaching and training has directly related to it. So I have always taught adjuncting has always been a theme and being in the classroom is still a passion of mine. But in addition to that, as I mentioned earlier about working at the University of Alaska Anchorage, so I was in the area of assessment. So really helping to provide kind of professional development to the respective departments within the division, helping them understand the assessment process, etc. And so that was a training role, really. And so it's that teaching teaching and training background that I have found to be so instrumental because the nature of my work is doing the same, providing workshops, strategizing with women on how to achieve their goals. So having those interpersonal skills, public speaking skills, the ability to convey complex subjects in a way that's easy to understand and actionable, it's been really, really valuable. And so I could see how all of those experiences were sort of preparing me for today. I think at the time, you know, there was some lamenting because I quickly knew when I was in the assessment role that this wasn't the work for me, Hmm. but there were so many other kind of sub-skills within that position that I was carrying with me forward to the work that I'm currently doing now. Did you have somebody help you to identify those skills or were they just things that kept coming up that you were like, hmm, this works, hmm, this is good? Yep. I think it was a lot of, and and I'll make a connection to to Bill and some of the work that we did together at the University of North Carolina Greensboro. So it was a a week-long training we were both part of, focused on really helping students understand their meaningful work work and even kind of explore who they are, what skill sets they have, what their interests are, etc. And so it was going through that process like four times over because I attended the workshop four times and a lot of just personal reflection to make sense of, okay, what are my skills? What are the things that I'm not only interested in, but but honestly good at? Mm-hmm. And how might that translate into a position? And for so long, I was so laser focused on the full-time tenure track faculty position that I couldn't even see anything beyond that. So it took me going to that training four times to really get the courage, give myself the permission, even the space mm. to consider something different. And once I did that, it was pretty clear that, you know what, you have the skills, Aisha. You're capable of doing this. Yeah, there's some learning gaps, but you have what you need to do this work. Mm, You know, look, we should just make this all about Bill's Bill's show. I'm kidding. (laughs) But it's to say the same thing that until you are aware, and I mean, you don't know what you don't know. That's probably the better way to say it. Right. And I say personal development is the key to one's success quite often Mm -hmm. because just as you said, until you know yourself, you don't know where you're going. You may be kind of figuring things out or just doing something to survive, but you don't really get the fullness of your potential until you chime in. And by chiming in both of us and and going through this work of this deep internal work of knowing who we are and what we find as meaningful in the world and how to do that. I like how we've been able to take education and then turn it into entrepreneurship yeah. in a meaningful way. Yeah. Like yourself, I was really stuck in, again, the same path. I have job security. And if I can become a dean, I can at least make $100,000. And I can I can do this and I can do that. And right. Bill has some sense, something doing our training while I met you yep. that you're always going to be limited when you work for somebody else. 
and I laughed. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. But then you think about it. If they're going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars, they're going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars. But as an entrepreneur, I can pay myself as much as I want. Yep. Contingent that the work has to align. And, you know, like yourself, I was afraid mm-hmm. of doing something different outside of what was expected of me with this higher ed degree, yep. because it's off the beaten path. And what are you doing? And that's not what you went to school for. Right. But I'm now using all of my degrees, every last one of them. And it feels really good. So entrepreneurship gives you creativity, especially as educators and higher education professionals to tap into all of your education, your skills, your your networks, and to really let your light shine. So I'm glad that you've been able to do that. Yeah. And you saw something different, you know, with there was, like you said, the assessment and the training, you have those skills to make your business better from the jump. And I think that's something that we shouldn't take for granted. So very cool. I I really love talking to you, um, especially just being able to reflect because we're in such a similar space. Right. And it's been significant how our work has shaped our work literally, but it's definitely shaping our future and going to impact education, even in a really big way. Yeah. I feel like I should jump in and just add one other thing. So thinking back on, you know, your question around, well, how did you know that like those skills that you developed from those prior positions were going to serve you well in your business? I think another thing that was super incredibly instrumental was having people that I respected and saw as credible Mm. basically tell me that you can do this, right? I see this in you. Mm. I know that you can accomplish this. And I, and, you know, speaking of kind of the crux of my business, which is around self-beliefs, it is incredibly empowering to see someone or to hear someone that you value and respect tell you that you are capable. I see this potential Mm. in you. You have the skill sets you need. I mean, it really does cultivate your sense of capability. You feel like, okay, if she believes that I can do it or he believes that I can do it, then I can't. You sort of internalize that. So I had several Mm -hmm. conversations that were focused on, you know, where I was headed and the work I wanted to do. And and there were a number of people that affirmed that for me. Mm. I like that you said that it's okay for other people to affirm you as well. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times society tends to tell us that we have to affirm ourselves and only affirm ourselves, like not to look outside of ourselves for what we need. But if you're the kind of person that words of, you know, affirmation, um, you know, your love languages, that's important to you and coming from people that you love, then you got to do that so that you'll feel good. Cause it's not that I don't know that I'm capable, but like yourself, it feels really good to know that somebody who I I respect, I admire, I, I value has good things to say about me as well, because that gives me the extra boost. So, you know, to those of you who are listening, do what works for you. And don't think that having somebody else tell you that you are enough, you know, is is not being enough. That's just doing what you have to do to feel good and to know what makes you thrive. Yeah. I love hearing good job. And, you know, I, I appreciate getting a pat on the back. I tell myself that all the time. But what my husband says and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I really did it because you're my person. Right. <laughs> it's essential. It's essential. And I, I, I feel like we are not self-made people. And so, yes, part yeah. of that is our own, you know, taking responsibility and having to manage our own self-perception, self-beliefs. But I think part of that is other people mm-hmm. affirming to us what they see in us. Absolutely. Because oftentimes we, we can not see it in ourselves. So I think that's that's just essential is, is having people be supportive and encourage the work that you're doing and, and the skill sets that you have. We need other people to help remind us what we can do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So as you've moved into entrepreneurship, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned so far that you think would be you know, helpful for other people to know who are considering 
entrepreneurship themselves? Gosh, there's so much. So I'm, so I'm in it right now. But I would say that for me, the, what prompted the, the major move was really a decision. And that decision was a long time coming. It was based on some of the things we've talked about. So prior trainings, having conversations with models and mentors, sitting with myself and being really authentic with the work I wanted to do. But it was at the point that I decided that I sort of stepped out and started to forge my own path. And so I would say A, create space to kind of think about the work that you want to do, Mm -hmm. things that that really are aligned with what your passions, etc. I think we have to create space and think about that because I found that while I was in higher ed for several years, it wasn't anything that I was passionate about. And I knew that. Mm. And so that was a huge part of just coming to that decision. It took time to get there and courage had to be cultivated before I could make the leap because I actually left a full-time position and went into just adjuncting. So I had the freedom and space to launch my business and really commit more time to it. But in terms of, you know, one of the the major take home so far, I would say that forging your own path, doing something that's unconventional is the ultimate learning experience, right? And you've kind of talked about it already in that, you know, there's a lot of resistance, whether it be from people or just even the learning curve of trying to figure out this, this space called entrepreneurship. And so I would say that it's exciting. I know that it's the work that I want to do, but it's definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone. It's definitely been a stretch consistently, so much so that I've had to rely upon a lot of the work that that my business is based on, these, these self-beliefs, right? How do you manage self-doubt? Because when you're doing something that's outside of the box, that's not limiting, that's not traditional, you have a lot of those conversations where they may tempt you to, to fall into doubt, to even have to kind of explain why you're pursuing the work that you're doing. And so I think to, to be able to manage that well, at least for me, it has been leaning on some of the work that I'm doing and to really be reminded about my passion. So that passion is, is really the motivator for me when things get tough and challenging. But yeah, it's been the ultimate learning experience. And I think anytime you're stepping out and doing something on your own and on your own terms, it's exactly that. If you had to put it as in your experience in one word, what word comes to mind? Gosh, one word. One word. I would, <laughs> come on, give me three now, yeah, one word. <laughs> I would say growth. I would say growth. And if I could explain that a bit, I would say that in order to grow, you have to step out of your comfort zone, which is a continually sort of scary and challenging and stretching process. But I have been living in the growth zone mm-hmm. and it's been a lot of failing forward. It's been a lot of persistence. Again, it's been a lot of me managing my own self-beliefs about what I can do, but it's been worth it. I think everything that's living grows and so that is the space that I've been in since starting this business. I think that's very on point. Growth is significant. As entrepreneurs, it's never ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's always something to, I mean, we just talked about it, always something to change, to switch up, to yep. explore. Yep. And it's like, this again, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's so exciting. For me, it's exciting, even when I'm just like, oh my gosh, everything's falling apart. Yeah. It's the idea that I can put it back together in the way that I see it. It is exciting. See fit for it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you see your progress too, right? It's not without moments of that too, where you've achieved something, you've accomplished something, you've, you know, you see your skill sets growing. And so, oh yeah, it's absolutely exciting as well. 
Mm. So what are some things that you're doing for, you know, development as an entrepreneur as well? Anything that you're reading, masterminds, what do you subscribe to support your growth, your journey? I think some of that's been finding community. So I'm relatively new to Portland, Oregon, and finding a group of peers and professionals who are doing like-minded work has been definitely a, a goal and a focus. And so there are a couple of masterminds that I'm part of, but I also created a meetup called Black Women Achieving More. So I didn't see exactly mm. what I wanted in terms of community uh, of Black women who are trying to accomplish big things in their personal, professional lives. So I also created that. So it's sort of a twofold mm. and that I sought it out to the extent that it's here and that I found it. But I also created some spaces where I was really hopeful that I could get some advice and insight and encouragement and even, you know, resource sharing in terms of how to build a business in this new city. I would also say that finding ways to be around people who are doing the type of work you want to do is really important. So kind of related to that point, but literally finding other women who are creating businesses that are like-minded. I think that's a big part of how you and I reconnected really just in that I've, I've been looking for and, and wanting to connect with people who are doing similar work to learn from them, to learn with them and to use them really as models and examples for me. And so I'm very intentional about not only, you know, the meetups, masterminds that I'm a part of, but also professional development, workshops, seminars, trainings. I've gotten to the point where I've been seeking that out now, especially as I've identified, okay, these are skill sets that I want to gain. These are areas that I need to gain more competency around. So that's been really important. And uh, always reading, always learning. I feel like there's a whole slew of books and resources that I'm taking in, a lot of which tie into my research. So dusting off that dissertation and all the literature that I've been reviewing or was reviewing during that time, a lot of that's kind of at my fingertips now in terms of work with people and wanting to share this information. So it's kind of a combination of, of who I spend my time around. I think there's there's a value in being intentional about that, but also what I'm consuming. Hmm. I totally agree with you that the community aspect is probably the biggest yep. piece to this entrepreneurial yep. journey. And more than just how it helps you move along professionally, it's what it does for you emotionally and mentally too. Because entrepreneurship can be so draining and in a way that, you know, draining or why are you doing it? It's just your mind is always on it <laughs> for some right. reason. You're just always thinking about it. Even when you're trying to not think about it, you're still thinking about it. But there's this piece to understanding why we are what we are. And that I'm going to put in, in, you know, air quotes special mm -hmm. to want to go out and change the world in such a way that rather than aligning with somebody else, we do our own thing. Yeah. But that's how every great business corporation you know, legacy was ever formed. Somebody had an idea. They thought about what they wanted to do, how they wanted to impact the world. And they did it. Yep. And so. I commend you for saying the community piece and building together. Yeah. Because people, and I don't think people know this, that entrepreneurs have one of the highest rates of mental health issues mm -hmm. compared to non-entrepreneurs. Suicide rates are even high as well. And that's because entrepreneurship can be very lonely. Be very isolating. They, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then when you have ideas and people who aren't in the space don't understand what it means. Yep. Something as simple as setting up your bank account, getting your LLC forms, your tax documents, your business licenses. Did the printer break down today? And so what is the backup plan right. then? Did the email send? Is the internet connection? Every little thing that some people just take for granted going to work and having access mm -hmm. to it. As entrepreneurs, we've always got to figure it out. And then the money thing and the accounting thing and hiring and firing, such big components to what we do. 
but so so true yeah yeah but then it ends up being a thing to where then you're going through this most of the time by yourself because it's your business and then you add to that having to be a wife or mom or you know a caregiver to a parent or to a sister or something so many things navigate to where sometimes it can just feel really heavy oh yeah so community is everything like you build your community and you know we become a part of each other's community and I have other entrepreneur friends who are you know full-time in it that we talk at least once a week yep hey what's going on how are you let's jump on a Skype let's get on a call yeah let me know how you are. And my group of, I call them my entrepreneur besties, mm-hmm. even when they're guys, uh, I'm like, yeah, you're bestie today, but it's, it's helped me to sustain, but it's also kept me encouraged. And then if one of us is, you know, for lack of better words, going mm-hmm. through it, we're able to keep each other up and, you know, encouraged and yep. don't forget this is your dream. This is your baby. You can't let your baby yeah. die. So no, I think that's so true. I think that's so true. Having other people that remind you, gosh, if, if she can do it, I can do it. Yes. People who can give you tools and strategies and, you know, help navigate sometimes, like you said, just the mix of emotions that comes with, with entrepreneurship. I think that's huge. And I, and I would say that's exactly what I've gotten from these spaces. In addition to some, you know, kind of candid coaching I've received as well. A lot of it has been that camaraderie, that shared experience of me too. I'm right there with you. You know, hang in there. Mm. Be resilient. Keep going. Absolutely. I was there last year. You'll get here. You know, all those conversations that really yep, remind us that, okay, this is possible. Right. And then you find your new normal. Yeah. And so now it's kind of like, oh, that happens. And that time <laughs> last year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the normal out of, I never thought I would leave higher ed. Uh-huh. Never thought I'd leave higher ed. I, I, I didn't see it. And the whole goal was to you know, be a rock star. All oh, right. Yep, yep. And now I'm just thinking now I'm rocking, you know, and, and I say that because I'm finding the space between who I always knew I could be, I guess, and what feels right for my life. And then just this freedom. So my, I feel so aligned with my values now and entrepreneurship helped me discover that. And I felt for me like I was cheating on higher ed. And like, how do I move out of semester? How do I go to working on a regular calendar year? You know, how do I do these things? And I'm like, you're doing yeah. it. <laughs> so, you know, and it's, and this has been the thing that I have done professionally so far the longest, but it's because it's the thing that's right. And when you find your groove, you, you groove, you know? Yep. It's so true. I know when I have moments of kind of questioning, you know, what's ahead and can I do it? I think I do something very similar in terms of thinking back on my past experience. Like, gosh, I've come this mm-hmm. far. I worked through that. We were able to get through that. And so it's a reminder of, no, you, you've you done it before in the past, really. And you can do it again in the future. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that mm-hmm. there's time spent thinking about my kind of meandering, you know, my, my curvy path through higher education and now where I'm at now. And I can see that, no, it's, it's all worked together. And that's all been a learning Absolutely. experience. And yeah, it will continue to be. Absolutely. And it's and it's good. It's all good. And I think the thing about being first gen that makes the experience so, I guess, in alignment mm-hmm. is that it's nothing new for us to be new to it, whatever that it may be. Because there's so many things as first gens that we haven't experienced, but then our parents or our grandparents, or our guardians have an experience to be able to tell mm-hmm. us too, that this newness is nothing new to us. And so when we can embrace that, then we'll recognize, oh, well, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And so that's the kind of mind I have about everything now. Yep. It's like, oh, 
this is a challenge. Like I was talking to hubby last night about, you know, how the whole hire thing and finding, you know, work, more people to help, you know, come onto the business, how stressful that can be sometimes. And he's always like, well, you know, yeah, you got it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've done it before. And so to normalize the uh, uncertainty, but also again, this, how do I bring somebody into this space and how do I hand off these things and how do I do standard operating procedure and how do I, how do I do this? Oh, well, there's Google and then there's, you know, human resources, people I can ask. Yeah. And so, you know, jump into mastermind, jump in a group and figure it out. But I went to college and I got through that and I got a master's and then I got a doctorate and then I started a business. So you don't think I can do it. And when I started to go back and self-validate and see the things that I've been able to do and, you know, gas myself up. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm fine. But then it always helps with him to say, but you can do it. So So it's just, you know, a a mix of both. But reflection is powerful. Yep. I love that. It is very powerful. I love that. Yeah. So looking, so I know we're at a point of wrapping up and I'm, I love to be two black women doctors who are entrepreneurs. This is the coolest thing in the world right out of me. This is such an exciting conversation because I mean, and then the people come to show like, man, these are the people in my struggle. These are doctors. Like, really? That's my reality. And it still shocks me though. Some days like, why are you shocked? Because it's just the not knowing part and the not having come from it, but then for it to be the new reality. Right. But this is great. So, you know, what I want to know from you, and I'm pretty sure those who are listening or probably have questions as well, but what is that one thought that you want to leave us with? What do you want us to share with us for the rest of our lives? I would say, believe that you're capable. You have the capacity to learn and grow and achieve your dreams. Just like that. Look there. There it is. That That's it. Have to be long to be deep. I believe that. Absolutely believe that. And you have literally been all across the country and back <laughs> so to achieve yours. So there's really no boundaries to how that dream is achieved either. And I, I love the example through your life, through your story. Thank you for that. Well, I know that there are going to be some individuals who want going to want to find you and connect with you. So where can they find Dr. Hankins on the Internet? Yeah, I would say the best place is my website. So it's AishaHankins.com. I'll I'll spell my first and last name just for the listeners. It's A-Y-E-E-S-H-A-H-A-N-K-I-N-S.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, for sharing your journey, your curvy road journey. Um, those are the favorite roads to yeah. be on, right? Because they're the ones that are the most fun. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, and thank you for all that you are and for all that you will be. Thank you for daring to step into your purpose, for your boldness and connecting and for being a part of this first gen community and for making a difference. I appreciate you. And we are looking forward to all that you're going to do. I'm going to keep up with you. And please know that we here in the first gen lounge, you know, we're your family and we've got your back. Mm, I'm so grateful, Dr. Eve. Thanks so much for having me. This was incredible. You are so very welcome. Until the next time, Dr. Hankins, take care. Bye-bye. Did you go mm, at any point during this session? If so, then go ahead and subscribe, then uplift friends, colleagues, and students by sharing the show. Also, don't miss out on exclusive insights that I only share via email by joining the First Gen family at www.thepurposeprofessor.com forward slash family. I know I said a whole lot, so I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. Now, until the next time, don't forget to be resilient, authentic, and intentional in all that you do. And no matter what, keep pressing forward.